Welcome to Minefield. My name's Joshua Michael. This is my best friend, Colin. Are you ready? Who? Who's your best friend? Oh. Who? 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 I don't know. I'm just being a dork. Yeah, me too. Yeah? I still love the old New Day thing, though. Who? 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 Missed that I shit. I kind of remember that. I think, you know, it's old stuff to me, but uh, because it's uh, it's material that if they aren't doing, but uh, I, I see it because I watch a lot of, like, old YouTube compilations and they talk about that kind of they stuff. They got a lot of good sticks. Stick? Sh- uh, stick. Is it, is it stick? Yeah. Uh, like, uh, I always got confused reading that in Mad and Cracked Magazine, man. Like, is it stick? <laughs> like, uh, but yes. apparently I was right in the, in the uh, how to say it. But we've got some good really? stuff to do today, man. Like, uh, I am ready yeah, to... Yeah, that's a lot. I am ready to rock and or roll. Right on. <laughs> I uh, I feel like I am constantly apologizing in one fashion or another because my my you know I don't live in I don't live in my town anymore. Tulsa, baby. Yeah, I live in Tulsa. Woo. Are you about uh, to we'll get see. robbed? I'm, uh, no. Yeah, we got robbed at uh, work on Friday night. Yeah. Yeah. He goes silent. Not not yeah, at, totally not, not at gunpoint. No, no, we did not. Uh. I mean, I bring in my gear, and one of my guys brings in his gear. We use it. We pack it up every day because they got robbed the day before I started working on that job. This is a shop I work in, um, and uh, it's just some of that manufacturing area right off the railroad tracks, North Tulsa garbage. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a criminals paradise around here there's a so theater guys, down there i dj'd a, a show at it was like the mockingbird it, theater something like that that place was rad that sounds vaguely the, familiar the, the people that ran the place was really good but like i got booked by a chick i was trying to bone and then i definitely <laughs> did not uh, i didn't even get to i uh, dude i didn't get even first base of that shit <laughs> i i'm not terribly familiar with every little place that's going on in uh Tulsa yet, and what's weird is that I'm coming up here all the time to see my boy, and I would go out, but now that I'm here, I'm like, no, I'm so focused on doing the work and being ready to do the work in this heat and everything that I'm just, uh, uh, go home, get cleaned up, eat dinner, get to bed, just pace myself, get ready for it, uh, but yeah, I'm glad- we lost some tools, that's about it. Well, some assholes broke in, luckily no one was hurt, but... You mentioned something before while we were doing our foreplay for the uh, podcast. Um, uh-huh. Feeling selfish when it comes to relationships, and I wanted to bring that up. Oh yeah, because I don't, I don't think it's being selfish when you're taking care of yourself, especially because we're grown up or we're raised or reared in this environment where we're supposed to our our parents. We we both have older parents. And that came from a generation where the more children you had, you needed them for the farm. My, my, I'm not saying that's why my, I've got so many 
cousins or uncles or aunts or anything like that. I'm just saying... <laughs> You've got a sister. <laughs> I've got a sister. I'm just saying that, like, in general, like, the generation before that generation, like, you know, that sort yeah. of uh, breeding was necessary to perpetuate the family. But now, uh, we're about four generations in. Like, my dad was... Uh, my, my grandfather was... Uh, my Both my grandfathers were greatest generation. And then uh, dad is a baby boner, and I am a millennial. You're not a millennial. Dude, dude, dude I'm totally millennial. Uh, you're, I'm not... Uh, you're Gen X. Dude, you're Gen X. Sorry. You're definitely Gen X. You're, 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 I was born in 77, for those of you playing the home game. 82. Uh, dude, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, maybe maybe there is a moniker or some well, kind of my, benchmark for that. My point, point is, is... My point is now that you and I have successfully dodged the marriage bullet for our entire lives. I'm and, thinking, oh, well, all right. I'm not going to say I dodged it. But. Oh, I've dodged the shit out of that. Anyway, um... You did, yeah. Yeah. Since I've known you. Yeah, uh, anyway, I mean, I've met a lot of really cool girls, and I'm still friends with a lot of them, and no one in particular. I'm just saying that, like, uh, I've had some people try to trap me and got pretty damn close. But the problem mm-hmm. is, is that I have been free. I, I, I have my specifics. I need this. You were mentioning the other day. You need your goddamn iced tea in the morning. It costs next to nothing. <laughs> But if you don't get yeah, your I goddamn do. iced tea, that's your little luxury for the day. You, you, people don't realize if you don't get that, the way people bitch about getting their coffee um, in the morning, I have to have my fucking scrambled eggs. Every morning I eat four scrambled eggs like clockwork, covered in Tabasco sauce. If I don't get that, it's going to shit in my cereal all fucking day. And <laughs> it's not that we're dodging things because there's a lot of awesome people out there. It's more of a the system that, we're free, and we've gotten to a point... It's not that we're set in our ways. It's just more of a... Why do I have to explain myself? Why do I have to... Uh, why? Do, why? Why? Tell me why. I don't want to tell you why. But you have to. And no, I don't. No, oh, yeah. No, no, I don't. And are, you, are you feeling that? In, in, or, or, or even like when... Uh, you're trying to be as rational as you can be, and you're not getting that sort of pushback. Um, can you can you reciprocate that? Um, I'm trying to think about how to get there navigating through the map you just laid out, because I felt like I knew what I was going to say about this when we kind of danced on it a minute ago. Well, I mean, people are always wanting you to like speak a certain way and apologize and give empty promises. I'm concerned that that's the case. I don't always know that that is. I, the thing is, to me, it's not a question of whether or not it's happening. It's a question of guess of like looking at what I'm doing and making sure that I'm at least being a stand-up person or trying to uh, excellent point uh, to to approach people on a case by case basis. Agreed. Um, I, but, and that, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure, I, I'm not trying not to jump off on tangential Well, maybe I concepts can, there. maybe I can add some flux to this. Um, we, before we get into comics, guys, sorry. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not just rambling for no reason. We've, we've got a point to this. Uh, Colin has a book that's really inspired him, and I've got a book that's really oh, yeah. inspired me. Uh, he has The Wave of Superior Man by uh, David, uh, is it? Dida? I think it is Dida. Or Dida. Could be Dida, could be Dida. It's spelled weird. Yeah. It, I'm sorry, we always butcher people's names. Yeah. I'm sorry. We're substitute teachers, sorry. That's a weird name. 
Uh, it's David Dida, D-E-I-D-A. I was turned on to this book by a production designer I worked with on or worked with on a uh, commercial in the last six months, and he was divorced and. Um, I was telling him, you know, yeah, I'm recently, unfortunately, single, and it's really eating my lunch, and I'm trying to figure out how to deal with this. And he, uh, he said, well, there were two books that I read that really changed my life, and one of them for the last, you know, it's going to sound cheesy, but it worked. It was uh, how to get the love you want, and I was, I was like, okay, cool, you know, I could look into that. And then he said, and the other one, take it for what it sounds like, the way of the superior man. Yeah. And I, you know, this isn't a book about ninjutsu or being an astronaut or something. Or a white supremacist for our uh, extremely leftist triggered uh, uh, audience. Yeah, we get triggered. And um, yeah, I gotta say, I downloaded Way of the Superior Man on Audible, and I've listened to it two times, and I found a copy of the book recently. And, um, you know, sometimes Barnes & Noble is going to have this. Sometimes you just go on Amazon. And, uh, man, I mean, oh, right here, page 42, don't watch TV or play video games. <laughs> don't uh, go out. I mean, it's, it's, it's so flows. funny. It's so funny it's, you said that because uh, you've been clipping, and I realize, and our, our listeners won't hear it. It's just on my end. Uh, but I was like, oh shit, my PlayStation's on. I'm literally turning off my PlayStation 4 and you're like, don't play video games. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, there's a lot, and I'm not going to say that's the one thing I learned out of it. I've, you, you read it, you listen to it, you learn something, you give it another pass, you pick up on a wholly other thing. The second time I listened to it, the most important thing that I think I figured out reading it was, or the thing that I latched onto was this idea um, that, uh, and I, I feel like it needs to be prefaced, but I'm just going to go at it. Women, because this book talks not just about men, it talks about how to be a man for your woman. Can you, and can you read this book as a transgender, lesbian, or does You can. Yes. Perfect. It's because... The book is talking about male and female relationships, and it's also trying very hard not to uh, get bogged down in pronouns. And I mean, think about it. I've I've known more I've known more gay male couple couples that were very happy with one another because they were men because they had difficulty forming relationship. Now, I'm not saying they were making this choice. Right, right, had right. difficulty forming relationships with women. I remember talking to one gay man that I was friends with in uh, Los Angeles, and I said, you were never, ever attracted to women. And he was like, well, it's not the same thing. I'm saying, yeah, I see women, and I think they're attractive. But I was like, yeah, okay, so you were never, you never wanted to be in a, any kind of a relationship with a woman. And he was like, women are crazy. And I was like, okay, dude. So... This book I dig for a lot of reasons. It, it specifically has multiple acts, and one of them in particular talks about how to operate with women, what women want, what women are expecting, and what women are uh, uh, asking for from you as a partner. And right, it just it 
it's that. It talks about how to maintain your relationships with other, with your men, your coworkers, your friends. Uh, it talks about you in relations to, relation to your to your family. Have you when you grow up? Have you outgrown things? Who will you always be? Your foundations, all of that stuff. Uh, I mean, it's it's a damn fine book. Uh, the thing that I have constantly found myself thinking after having read this multiple times is uh it's it's important for you to keep these things in mind it's not a full life ethos right right i think one of my favorite things and i've noticed it multiple times recently that uh women are not interested in what you've been doing lately or what you've done lately they want to know what you're doing now What's most important is now. Really? Which isn't to say that women aren't in any given moment going to be interested in what you've been doing. But right. that's it's you're not you're not being given a nickel for every little thing that you do around the house or cleaning the bathroom or cooking or getting the garage cleaned or mowing the lawn up to a dollar and that's gonna get you something. It just doesn't work like that, you know. What have you done now? What are you doing now? Is what's more important, or you know? uh, it's, on the shittier wavelength? What have you done for me lately? <laughs> well, that's the same thing. It's lately. It's not now. I'm not sure that uh, the person who coined that uh, that uh, phrase necessarily was thinking along those lines. But you can also, but, but regardless of your sex or gender or whatever you identify it as, you can find uh, a spine in this and latch on and let it go into your nervous system the way anyone would want it intended to you can switch pronouns back and forth oh yeah for sure absolutely uh the thing being of course you have to keep in mind that you know if you are a uh if you're a trans guy and you're working with other with with i don't i'm sorry man i don't even know what to say yeah you're a you're you're a woman now a trans guy you're a woman now i guess uh then you know i mean that doesn't it does that i wonder necessarily mean you're going to feel like the way a woman is characterized in this book i don't know that's a it's there's so many different things so i take it as a case-by-case situation because maybe in that instance this book isn't for you but nevertheless is it amorphous enough that you can grasp onto it regardless and take something really good away from it i absolutely think so is there any absolutely is there any particular quote in the book that you've got highlighted or that sticks out in your mind um, I don't know if I can quote anything. It's a paraphrase thing right now, but well, uh, yeah, one of my favorite one of my favorite uh, points in the book is she wants you to be Shiva. She oh. wants you to be the penultimate, the destructor, not the destructor, the maleness. Be male. Be a man. If you are a man, be a man. Make decisions. Do what you're doing. Nobody wants to sit there and listen to you bitch and piss and moan and complain about things. It takes away from your complete fullness as a man. And it's hard to break these habits. Just like it's it's hard. It is difficult. This is a pathway to chivalrous knighthood. This does not mean that you will ever get there. Oh, I get you now. Okay. Yeah. And it's uh, um, not Vishnu. Is it Vishnu? 
Well, you what said is it? I am. You said chivalrous, but still at the same time, like the the word still. Oh, I get you. Yeah, the, the word still resonates. Uh, Shiva. Um, it, yeah. The, the, those I don't believe in coincidences and that sort of thing. And it's I don't That's believe chivalry is just opening the door. Just respect anyone, guy, girl, doesn't matter. Open the fucking oh, door. Oh, for real. Open Look the fucking door. Each other. You said something interesting that uh, I I want to uh, segue into the book that I I, I want to talk about uh, to be mindful about things. That's one of the things that I, uh-huh. I really uh, one of the you can call it a new age fad or, uh, you know, a new diet or way to think, um, mindfulness. You'll, you'll, you'll see these books that say mindfulness in uh, tabloid newspapers that you'll see at the grocery store. But mindfulness is basically just being aware of how you come off as a person through your language, body language, oh, yeah. and whether or not, like, uh, like the other day uh, I had a customer on the phone it was a very nice lesbian couple. Man, they opened up to me. I had so, was some of the best customers I've ever talked to. And uh, I was like, man, like, are you guys going to Pride? I'm wearing my New Japan Pro Pride uh, shirt right now. I'm like, really? What do we look for? What does it look like? And they, they Googled it. and like, that is so cool. And I'm like, hell yeah, wrestling is all inclusive now. It's fucking rad. And, yeah. well, I didn't say fucking to them, but, like, um, they, they were like, you're wearing that shirt. I'm like, yeah. And it's, it's not a – I'm not wearing it as a fad, but I'm worried because it might – come off as a fad now um but that that's neither here nor there because i'm proud of my family and that's what we do but mindfulness um they they were talking about how their local agent was a piece of shit and how much they didn't like him and how they he didn't recognize their um union and coded them as um single and they were in fact actually yeah yeah it was it was kind of trashy uh, not on their part, but from how this guy reacted, and they're like, "Yeah, he was a piece of shit." And they they tell you don't bash other companies or with you know don't don't talk negative, negatively about anyone. Then that's just a standard. But uh, like one of the first times ever, I was like, "Yeah, you know, we don't know. Maybe the guy mm-hmm. you know was having a bad day. We don't know what's going on. Maybe his wife just left him for a lesbian, and that will." Fuck a regular uh, guy oh, up that's man. never ever experienced that sort of thing or or has uh, had any sort of encounter with that sort of community. I've seen it done. Yeah, yeah. It, it'll it'll it makes them hate them. We don't know that. Maybe that's and they're like, you know what? You're right. And and that was mindfulness. We don't know, but at the same time, though, uh, even though I wanted these people to like me because I'm doing my job, it it got them to like me more because I was being mindful. We don't know. And uh, this is one of the books, uh, the book I'm talking about is Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. Now, this book is not to be read in consecutive order. This book is to be read, you open it up and spin a page and point your finger and then read what the hell pops up. Uh, Amanda Palmer uh, from the Dresden Dolls does a uh, chapter in this. Uh, She's the one that's married to uh, Neil Gaiman right now. Uh, She did that coin-operated boy song. Um... Oh, okay. Old school stuff. But I've got my, my highlights from this book were the Arnold. Uh, Arnold did like a, I want to say like six, seven, eight pages. Uh, just, they're, they're just giving advice. This is how I succeeded. Whether, and, and they, they divvy it up into sections like, uh, like, like if you're just dissecting a cop book, like, you know, this is about crime on the street. This is crime on, you know, sex crimes, this is mob. They divvy it up in the most cohesive fashion they can, and they've got, like, uh, I think uh, John Favreau was in here too, but the Arnold one is the one that really stuck out to me, where he just 
it's not just like in his in his autobiography when he's talking about stuff about how he you know was superior. That's not what it was about. But here he talks about things. My highlights here is I wasn't there to compete. I was there to win. Yeah. When he's talking about being Mr. Olympia, he wasn't there. Hopefully, you know, maybe I can pull this off. No, I'm there to destroy every single one of you. But he was nice about it. But at the same time, though, uh, you you hear all these guys from uh, uh, what's that movie? The 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 weightlifting movie. Um, weightlifting. Uh, pumping movie? iron. Pump. Yeah, pumping iron. Oh, okay. Uh huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, about the Miss Olympia, Mr. Olympia thing. And no, he wasn't there to hopefully win. He was there to win. I've got some highlights here. Uh, Arnold was able to use his biggest flaws as his biggest assets. When deal-making, ask yourself, can I trade a short-term incremental gain for a potential longer-term gain changing upside? Is there an element here that might be far more valuable in 5 to 10 years? And we, you and I have said this for years. Think five minutes in front of your face. Oh, yeah. And uh, what else we got here? In negotiation... He who cares the least wins. We're talking about mm-hmm. psychological warfare. Um, every time I need a little bit of inspiration, it's one of those. Um, it's it's one of those things where when you are searching for something, and uh, it, it just comes up. It's a what's the word? Kitma or um, kismet? Kismet. Yes, mm-hmm. Th- this book is pure kismet. You will find it if you just open up. But yeah. but yeah, we've got comics to read. We've been talking about some stuff that's inspired us. We've had some lady problems, but I've got, you know, I've got a lot of great, great women in my life, and I'm proud of all of them. And you are too, man. I'm, I'm still so glad you and Sheila are friends, and despite the fact that it's been up and down, like, you know, I've had the same thing with a few of my friends, but the the people that care will stay around. Yeah, that's true. They they, totally true. they they might hurt your feelings every now and then, but you know they didn't mean it. Uh, we've got some great comics for you. <laughs> no man. Yeah, we've oh, lead us off. You've got way more going on this week. Oh, for it I was I on fire this week. Uh, all right, so we're doing Invisible Woman number one, Black mm-hmm. Cat number two, Star Wars number sixty-eight, Unearth number one, Wolverine Blade special, Wolverine versus Blade special number one. Which is it's just a one shot. I don't know why they even call it number one. Uh, World of the Realms Omega uh, Event Leviathan number two. Batman number seventy four. Um, let's see. Arrow number one and Flash seventy four. There's a few I'm going to talk about just quickly. But what do you got first? Tell me about Invisible Woman because you were so fucking pumped about it last night. I just thought it was cool. Invisible Woman number one. I mean, it's Sue Storm. You get this concept of her being a shield undercover agent and then uh, using her powers, you know, at an un or at an inspecific time in the past with some kind of fictitious Eastern Bloc country. Um, she had a, another agent that she worked with who was, it's definitely shield because Nick Fury shows up and then, I don't know what they're doing with it lately, but Samuel L. Jackson version of Nick Fury is showing up to be Nick Fury's son. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's been for a while. That was after uh, Secret Wars, uh, or maybe a little bit beforehand. Uh, uh, I, okay, I, I, like I think it was one of those residual things from Secret Secret War, where um, Ultimate Nick Fury is. I, I, I've seen like three different versions of it, so I'm not that sure. But he is the son of Nick Fury. I don't know where Nick Fury is right now either. 
Sure, why not? Nick Fury is uh, the Watcher on the moon. Oh, yeah, that was the last time I heard from him after uh, Original Sin. Yeah, that's, that book sucked. Um, yeah, it was terrible. So, uh, it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. I can't believe Nick Fury is still the Watcher. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like, uh, she's... I mean, you get this kind of suspense thriller situation with her at the beginning and some, you know, generic Eastern Euro villains with AK-47s and then, you know, no big deal. And then she's just, like, drinking her coffee and she's in New York and everything's cool, but she gets a message that uh, uh, her old buddy that she may or may not have had a fling with at some point, but she was engaged at the beginning. They definitely so had that tension. Yeah, it's definitely there. I think a lot of people would have that tension with Sue. Uh, she's just that kind of a person. Um, at least the way they've been writing her, you know, since... For a while now, more recently, not in the Silver Age, that's for sure. Definitely not in the uh, America's First Family era. Yeah. Um, but since maybe 2010, you can see her having the possibility of these things being the case. Nevertheless, I just don't... I, you, know, and, you know, it makes me think I don't see how it's possible because she was infatuated with Reed when the, she got her powers, and that was, you know, in the 60s, so she wouldn't have had it... had that... Uh, had any kind of a fling. Right, because that was right around the time right afterwards. Um, now, yeah. you called me yesterday, and we were talking just bullshitting, mm-hmm. and you mentioned they go to Majapur, and I was like, dude, uh-huh. dude you might as well be... Uh, <laughs> you might as well be Pulp Fiction right now, man. Uh, <laughs> motherfucker, you sending, you sending me to Majapur? You feel better, motherfucker? That's- Shit, <laughs> Negro! That's all you had to say. <laughs> Madripoor, I don't see, I'm sold. Like, <laughs> Sue Storm and Madripoor is not the same thing as the Black Widow. And what really is exciting is the Black Widow shows up on the last page expecting her. And that's where we last saw the Black Widow in the uh, Soska Sisters Black Widow oh, book that we God, reviewed. God bless the you, Jesus Soska Sisters. Of. Yeah, and yeah. and and that made me even happier right now because one of my favorite things right now about DC Comics is they're all in, intertwined. They they're they're doing their homework. Everything matters to every other book, and as long as it's not like you know some little peripheral thing that they're not actually dealing with some interdimensional like world threatening threat. I'm I'm talking mm-hmm. like uh, the the Wonder Twins and that sort of thing. But uh, the fact that this that the Black Widow is still in Madripoor, great, great because the Sosia Sisters made that impact. She's still there. It wasn't a one-off thing, and then all of a sudden she's going to be in New York uh, alive and well and part of the Avengers and doing something different. No, that made me f- so fucking happy about that. Yeah, dude. I'm, uh, I'm particularly interested to see where this one goes. I mean, it's, it's, it's just cute watching Sue walk around, do her own thing, and then that she's got her own life apart from the FF. And uh, apparently Reed knows about it, so that's not a big deal, you know. Yeah. It's like, hey, yeah, this is uh, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to go off on a mission and try to rescue this guy. That's it. Though I think that if, uh, but, you know, Reed is, of course, going to sit there and he's going to be like, oh, cool, let's see how I can bend light particles around this spoon or something like that. Sue, if Reed went off on a, an adventure with uh, Alyssa Moy, Sue would <laughs> flip her wig. Yeah, completely. yeah. We've talked about that when we were writing uh, uh, redacted. <laughs> redacted. Yeah. yeah, we're right. Yeah, we're writing. No, I'm a. I'm a. 
She's one of my favorite characters, Alyssa Moy. If you don't know who she is, look it up. Google it. Find it on a comic book database or someplace else. Actually, look it up on um, the Marvel app. Uh, it'll lead yeah. you. It'll lead you down a really great rabbit hole uh, for all our uh, hardcore Marvel fans, or anyone that just wants to find a rabbit hole and maybe it'll take you someplace you like. I really like this episode or issue because it it displaced me. Um, it starts out in the snowstorm. They're fucking with this, like, uh, what did you say? Like, oh, the, yeah. The uh, uh, pseudo-Euro-Russian guys. We don't know what made-up country this is. And it's, I'm like, wait a minute. All right, that's Sue Storm. She's, she's brunette. She's stark black hair. Mm. And, mm-hmm. okay, so that that means that's got to be Johnny. No, but that's not Johnny. Wait a minute. Hold on. i got to turn the page back in. No, not Johnny. That's not, that's not Reed. There's no stretching. And then, you know, we've got uh, Fury. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that it displaced me that she is capable on her own to execute espionage and, you know, deep undercover shit. That made me very happy. I think that's, yeah, I think that's super rad. And it's, to me, it's one of those things where it's like, Sue needs her own stories. She needs to be off and doing her own thing. I mean, it's like. <sighs> I like that you brought up the Re- coffee. You brought up the coffee. Uh, there's that scene yeah. where she's dissecting everything, and my, my kids are at the point where they don't want to hang out with us. Uh, my brother's my brother. Uh, she's helping out uh, the thing. Like, I'm going to get him with this. No, 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 mm-hmm. don't, don't do that. No, 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 no. Don't use the water. Use, <laughs> use the foam. And then she's like, but it all boils down to the best thing in the world, coffee. Just, yeah. just her coffee. Just like you said. Just, it stuck out in your head, and you didn't even realize it. It's true, yeah. It was just one of those things... You know, she's like, I like my haircuts and I like being in New York and blah, blah, blah. And it just. I'm trying to think like every city has a band, you know? Yeah. And I think that despite the fact that the FF is off world or out of the country or doing something all the time. And the Avengers call New York home, but they also have, you know, the West Coast Avengers, the Great Lake Avengers, something or another. It always just feels like the FF is. New York City, you know? They are that city's superhero team. They're not usually the ones who are bringing in a bunch of, you know, rambunctious crap like the Avengers are. Uh, And the X-Men come in now and again, but they're clearly not, you know, of the city necessarily. But uh, I don't know. I mean, you go back and you think, like, Aerosmith is from Boston. That's Boston's band. Or you think of, uh, I don't know, you get like a place where a bunch of bands are from like i don't know guns and roses is very la yeah it's very it's it's la it's you know you're totally right you're that it's the it's skid row it and then like you think new york you think ramones yeah (laughs) there you go yeah i'm talking about i mean like you think about a superhero team being that way that's i'd say like that's it and that's why i like how they uh they they treated her that way yeah you've got whether or not it was intentional might be reading into it you've got sacto you think the deftones man and and uh the, the the greatest part about this was i didn't realize that mark wade was the writer until after the end like, who wrote this mark wade hell yeah uh penciler mm. uh matia de uh lulius inker uh, matia de lulius uh colorist uh matia de lulius and uh, letterer, oh, Joe Caramagna. Joe Caramagna. VC's Joe Caramagna. VC, it, dude, if you type in VC's uh, apostrophe pearl, uh, S and then hit a space, it'll immediately fill in Joe Caramagna. Oh, that's crazy. That, I love that. I love that. And uh, yeah. 
This was all digital art for real, it, right? It was. I mean, it was all so obviously digital art, but it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't the best. But it's it's definitely on its way there. It's it's like I said, we've talked about it a million times. It wasn't a bunch of talking heads, which makes me happy. Uh, mm, great, yeah. great placement of scenes. It's dynamic. Uh, I I I think the only thing that really is lacking from this is a little bit more depth in ink washes and a little bit more texture. And then, good point. It didn't seem layered. It was really flat, wasn't it? Yeah, that's what I was. I didn't. I didn't realize that's what I was missing exactly. Ugh. But we've got I'm painting some stuff at work, and it's. Yeah, it's all. It's all it's about all layers. One-dimensional. It's all about layers. Even when you're painting in just basic, like one one, you gotta. Mm-hmm. You, you don't just have to. You can't just put that flat white. You gotta layer. You gotta layer and layer, and then you get your background. Then you start building. And then upon what you build it on the scaffolding, you just keep building. And then once you you flesh it out, then you've got something great. Whether if it's something that people will like or not, it, at least the form is good. But yeah, it's just lacking a little bit of depth, and it, it it's got great potential. I'm not shitting on the guy. Um, I'm just saying it's just a little bit more depth, especially since the cover. I I, I hate when the the cover is like perfectly painted. <laughs> And yep. glorified, and you open it up, and like, uh eh. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah, sure. Uh, briefly, I want to talk about uh, Batman number 74. We're building up to 75, where Bane's making his great return. Uh, Batman's dad, Thomas Wayne, is back, uh, resurrected from the Flashpoint series, and they're going to the pit where Raza Ghoul's uh, resurrection pool is there, and they mentioned the entire time on the way there about a, a book that Bruce <coughs> used to always want to read and how it was about these animals that go into the pit and the, the person that gets to leave is the first person the the first person that eats it's it's a battle to the death it's animals and mm-hmm. you know you got to get one on one and why did you want me to read this book all the time well I always you know it, it drove me nuts your mom is so stubborn and why why did you have me read this book it, it's not that I minded reading it but. Your mom insisted, but I kept reading it, and I eventually really didn't have a problem with it. Why? And he's like, because every now and every time you read it, I was hoping that maybe this time the ending would be different. Hmm. And uh, it's the fall of the fallen. And but the the thing of it is that in order to use the pit, you have to make a sacrifice, and it's just those two. And immediately when they get down to the pit, like they start duking it out, and. At the end, you see one hand come out of the pit. We don't know whose hand it is. It's probably, you know, Bruce Wayne, but the next issue is going to be Bane. And where did Bane come from? A pit. There's going to be another, some sort of parallel to that. Tom King wrote it. Um, Mikkel uh, Janine was artist. Uh, Jordi Belair, artist, uh, colorist. Clayton Cowles, letterer. Uh, Mikkel Janine did the cover. VC's Clayton Cows? Uh, it doesn't specifically say VC, but I know that he's he works with VC. We've 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 mentioned yeah. him a few times. Uh, wasn't bad, but it was definitely one of those things where just get to seventy five now. Mm-hmm. Just get to seventy five, and they they had that payoff where you had that extra meat and potatoes where you had to think about it before you get the knockdown drag out. We're gonna have six ten issues of you know, Bane coming up, and they, they mention it. Uh, Flash was great. I'm not going to go into that. We've talked about it beforehand. 
Reaver uh, from Image number one. I couldn't get through it. Um, I'm I'm all about high adventure, but I probably got I tried to read this comic maybe six times this week, and I just wow, it just couldn't I couldn't make my way through it. It it just didn't in any way hook me. But you know it did hook me, and it would hook you. Star oh, Wars. look at that, Star Wars. Oh, no, I was saying Becky Cloonan cover. Oh, Becky. Uh, oh, shit, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, Cloonan, my favorite artist, comic artist, did the cover. Um, she doesn't post as much as she used to on Instagram, so it's one of those things hard to catch because I follow so many wrestlers. Um, but it's always mashed in between. But, yeah, Cloonan did the cover, so I'm going to have to go buy it. Every time she sells anything, I'm like, I message her like, well, you robbed me. <laughs> Here's my fucking money. <laughs> <laughs> Even if the band yeah. that she did the cover for, like Witchcrier, Witchcrier's pretty good. She did the cover for it. They're decent. I liked it a lot. I've got the vinyl, but she did a couple uh, sh- uh, shirts for the sword, and I've got all of them. Uh, sleeves cut off, obviously, but yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Move on. Uh, Star Wars, I, I Star particularly Wars, Star Wars, like Star her Killjoys work myself. The True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys. Ooh, 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 that was juicy. That was probably my favorite Gerard Way writing. Dude, I mean, outside of all of the stuff that he wrote for his fabulous band, My Chemical Romance, uh, one of my favorite bands ever. I, I mean, just don't even get me started right now. I'm not. If you guys want to hear me talk about My Chemical Romance? That'll be a long send, send us an email, and I will talk to you about My Chemical Romance and what they have done for me and why. I mean, I'm pretty sure that my favorite song is the My Chemical Romance song. It's hard to say, but I... a real tough thing when you've got uh, Radiohead or M83 or Cigarose out there, but MCR... Mm. Sounds juicy. Yeah. Dude, yeah, but Fabulous Life's Life of the... Uh, or The True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys is a good book if you uh, haven't read it. Uh, demo way back that was good too Brian Wood and Becky Cloonan but that's, what, anyway. that's one of my favorite books ever yeah Star Wars we were talking about we, yeah let's get into that Star Wars yeah I'm glad you know I'm, I, 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 I really liked Kieran Gilliam but uh, I'm glad to see some new direction in the book because it was starting to feel really like the most drawn out thing ever uh, like a little stale little stale yeah, I'm sorry. It was getting a little stale. Uh, Shutorin, I'm glad that's over. Um, yeah, you know, just like the cover implies on this, you've got Chewbacca and C-3PO and some kind of lava rock monster creatures. Like, General Rykian is introduced in this book. Uh, and so is Admiral Ozel from The Empire Strikes Back. This is clearly the lead-up to the uh, retellings of the... Um, Empire Strikes Back, <clears throat> so our new direction is taking us that way. Because how many adventures can you have in three and a half years between Star Wars and Empire? Agreed. Probably, and still survive. Uh, how many times can you get out that lightsaber and somebody not track you down afterwards because you're some kind of a Jedi or whatever? And um, at the same time, it's nice to see, like, okay, you know, you got Vader in his own book or whatever, Honestly, I'd love to love to watch. I'd love to see a six-part book of Vader just trying to track down Luke Skywalker through the Force and through, like, doing detective work or something, or getting somebody else to do it, 
and reporting into him and then there being like a little clash or something like that. But anyway, this was rad. Uh, Greg Pack is the writer. Phil Notto is the artist and he did a great job. VC Clayton Cowles is the letterer and uh, Phil Notto also did the cover artist, um, which I could say is way better than the last, the, la- the most recent book preceding this one. Uh, yeah, that it drags. starts the Rebels. Yeah, it starts the Rebels and Rogues storyline, and uh, it splits up our characters. Luke has to go over here, Leia and Han go over here, and they're starting to be flirty, and that's kind of fun. Chewie and 3PO are going over here. Best that got this. Yeah, that was awesome because they were very polite to one another. And it's fun because you don't know what Chewie's saying, but C-3PO is retelling it, and it works. Yeah, like... It's just really... F- no one's ever said the that The cordiality was yeah. cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. No one's ever said and, that. Uh, so totally cordial. Totally cordial to one another. It was really neat. Um, but the... I, it, super weapons. Okay? Yeah, the Death Star. Super weapon, obviously. Super Star Destroyer? Probably a super weapon. Um... What else can you do? General Rykian has this idea. We're going to go to this planet that has an unstable core and it's lava and it's like volcanoes and stuff. And we're going to plant some like two or three little bombs down there, lure as many Star Destroyers to this planet and then blow up the planet and destroy all these Star Destroyers. Well, that is an impressive and awful military victory. Uh... I'm not going to say that's something that doesn't need to happen to the Empire, but it's also, I mean, it's super weapon-esque, I guess. It's just, I'm thinking about it and I'm like, yeah, you want to get rid of those ships, but somehow or another, just, I don't know, it just seems completely underhanded. For General Rykian, it seems underhanded somehow to, I just, I don't know, I don't know, man. It, that That whole concept kind of was like, that's what you're going to do? That just doesn't seem like the kind of thing that good guys do. As long as no innocents about- die. Well, of course, we're going to get, you know, there are living, sentient rock beings on the planet that, you know, that's going to give Chewie and C-3PO pause. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you go back and look at the general in the rebellion in Rogue One who was like, yeah, Caspian, go out there and assassinate Jin's dad. Uh, you know, and he's got to go out there and be a sniper. And I'm like, I'm struggling with that with my character in my book. Like, when does he decide that he's not a good guy or maybe he's not a bad guy and he's got to switch directions or whatever? And I'm because it's a rewrite, it's like the same type of thing. Yeah, you're going to go on missions and you're going to do these things, and sometimes you're going to do something that's going to kill a lot of people. At what point does he realize? I'm not going to be able to be this person any longer or whatever. I, I don't know. It just, it strikes me as like the things that ge- the general from Rogue One would do make sense for him. And then he got killed in the comics, def- helping to defend the rebels who'd stolen that Star Destroyer uh, from Darth Vader and Scar Squadron. And it kind of was like, okay, that makes sense because that guy is that guy. And maybe that's a different part of the rebellion. They're not Saul Guerrero, and they're not Saul Guerrero's troops from Jeddah. Right. We just had this whole storyline about, but I just don't see General Rykian being that guy. However, there's no alpha canon to suggest that he wouldn't be that guy. Oh. It's all out of novels. It's all out of expanded stuff. But uh, 
I've put more thought into that character and like more love, like thinking about his little Lego uh, <laughs> depiction and just being like, this would be the this would be the general that's like this would be the guy that you'd really want to uh, to look after you. Like, is he a tactician or is he a troop trainer? Oh no, he's gonna blow up a planet and eliminate a chunk of the Imperial fleet. Plus, and in the end, does it really matter? How many Star Destroyers does it really take to control all of that galaxy? I, I, I thought about it one day, and then I found a YouTube video about it, and I was like, an idiotic tens of thousands of Star Destroyers to control the thousands and thousands of worlds that were held into peace and justice by the Jedi Order. It can't be done. You're tr So many people. Anyway, man, I don't know. I, I got really bogged down in the technicality of it, didn't I? Uh, no, I, I enjoy it. The only thing I was thinking of was just brighter-wise, like, didn't we just ruin a planet? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, they got rid of the spike. Instead of blowing up the planet... Still ruin the planet. Got, yeah. You're right. I mean, you can't use the planet for mining purposes of heavy metals any longer. But well, that's what Mustafar is for. for. I mean, like, how, there's... There, there are so... Well, like, even in this book... Luke lands on another desert planet and bitches about it. I thought I'd be done with desert planets. Dude, every planet that I watch in Star Wars is a desert planet. <laughs> it's Tatooine in every movie. It's Jeddah is a desert. It's, uh, what is it? What are those stupid planets in the stupid new ones? You know, it's just, come on. It's always a desert. I really like Camino. <laughs> I love Camino. I loved Camino. A water world with floating cities yeah. and you I know, wanted, yeah. I wanted more view of Camino. It's always raining. Yep. I loved Camino. I loved Camino. Endor has its moments. I'm sure there are some awesome ticks and parasites all over those Ewoks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bed bugs. I mean, Coruscant is interesting, fascinating. I mean, I just finished reading um, Darth Plagueis in case. We haven't talked about that. And I just started reading Tarkin, also written by James Lucindo. My boy gave it to me, and so I'm two chapters in on that. And uh, that guy's a kick-ass writer. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. I, you know I'm not going to stop reading Star Wars. This is the best Star Wars that's come out uh, in forever outside. I Who wrote the Star Wars last? Was it Dark Horse? They had the license? Dark Horse had it yeah, last, yeah. Yeah, that was a good... That was and a then, good uh, book, ending with Leia on that Venator-class ship talking to an Alderanian guy that she hated. Uh, it was something like that, who was a war criminal or whatever. I don't yeah, know. I really like liked it, that her, her Her non-boyfriend, yeah, you, you used to be married. Oh, no, 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 that's this. That's in this one, sorry. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, when she got, yeah, yeah that, her, she and, she and Han's mission is to go to... Uh, this ultra crime ridden world and find this guy that she used to date when she was in like a summer camp for young political. <laughs> uh, I mean, I wasn't putting too much into it. I, I, I got, I was really just mostly, Oh, you know, Chewie and Chewie is definitely a gentleman, you know? Yeah. You'll rip a, rip an arm out, but, uh, he's still a gentleman. Don't push his buttons. Yeah. I know bikers that are like that, yeah. you know? Uh, I know guys that have been in prison who are like that. Don't push their buttons. Yeah, the, be cool. They'll, they'll tell you what the buttons are. Please don't do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to go back to jail, and you don't need to lose any teeth. You know, 
It's that kind of shit. So, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Uh, and in the end, so I, that was the thing that I really took away from it because Luke's story was all, part of the story was almost like, oh, we got to do something with Luke. I'm like, no, you don't. Say that he went off on his way and then cut into the next issue and make it all about him and his little adventure and then go back to these guys. I'll just say, though, that Phil Noto drawing uh, all of these characters looked fantastic. A really masterful approach to their depictions. Leia looked gorgeous. I love her hair. I love her costume. Uh, Han had sunglasses on. I was like, that is legit. There's totally, like, total cyberpunk awesomeness in that. Yeah. And then, it, like, it was in two frames, and then or two panels, and then it was just gone. And I was like, come on, more, more Han in a different... I love it when they put the characters in co- costume that isn't completely typical to their characters. You know, Luke in his yellow award jacket or medals, the medal that he gets at the end of Star Wars, I get it, that's cool, but I love him in his Bespin fatigues. You know, the the rebel pilot fatigues. Yep. When you're not wearing your bright orange spacesuit, you wear these dialed down sand-colored fatigues. I have my entire life tried to emulate that look cuz I'm a flipping dork. The best time I ever saw it on somebody was there was this, like, 11-year-old who had made his costume and was wandering around, like, a Wizard World Tulsa or something like that. Anyway. What was the kid's name? fatigues. I have no idea. It doesn't matter what the kid's name is. Yeah. (laughs) His name was (laughs) Luke Bespin or something like that. Sorry, that was miserable. Miserable attempt at humor. (laughs) No, I was just setting you up. All right. <laughs> I want to talk about something from last week I missed. Uh, Aero. Oh, yeah. A-E-R-O. With the power of the wind at her command, Lei Ling's the master of the sky. She's astonishing, awe-inspiring. Aero. Now, this is, an, doing this, book? this is an adaptation of uh, an Asian comic and writer by Zhao Lifen, artist by Kang, K-E-N-G, Adaptation by Greg Pak. Obviously, this is a uh, labor of love on this one. Like, when they brought, like, uh, I hope they they keep doing this. Like, I hope this is, like, one of, like, five or six series where they at least, you know, five or six comics each. Like, back in 2008, when they did all the French uh, invasion in Marvel, like, Skydoll, remember that? I don't. Oh, Skydoll was phenomenal. Anyway, um, they did a few... Marvel Comics did that for, like, five, six issues uh, for, like, three different types of titles. But uh, you can tell this is an adaptation. It is ridiculously overstyled digital anime manga animation. Like, I feel like they overdid it to the point where I feel like I'm wearing 3D glasses when I'm reading it, which made me very happy. But it's the typical, like, manga-type style where, like, uh, Lei is an architect by day. She has it all. Like, cute boyfriend. She's an architect. And at night, she fights crime. <laughs> you know, they just, they just expect, you, expect you to buy into that shit, which is fine, okay? At least we know yeah. it's the genre. No, it's a, I'm not it's buying a, into that. It's a genre piece, so, like, you have to. And she's an uh, architect. Let me, let me iterate something real Do quick here. Do it. Uh, that, the, the, the girl that you and I both know who... Uh, called me inexplicably the other day oh, yeah? is uh, the one that I, I used to see. She is an architect, and she is barely getting by. 
Don't think that just because you're an architect that you can uh, have it all and be a superhero, okay? Oh, yeah. Carry yeah, on. It's, it's a 24-hour-a-day job. Like, those guys, the, the, the people that were most stressed out the entire time I ever met in college, it wasn't the chemists or mathematicians or the people that were trying to be whatever. It was the people that were trying to be architects. Those guys were stretched to their fucking limits. But, yeah, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts out where she, one of the buildings that she uh, designed and she's so sad about has magically turned to life and she's using the power of her ability to manipulate the wind. And she's playing defense and she doesn't want to destroy the building yet because she's using air pressure control to determine if there's any more people in the building that is now a giant rock biter trying to fight her. And when she realizes that all is clear, she destroys it, and it's all about how much she loves Shanghai and how she's helped develop it. And she goes on a date and uh, meets her beautiful boyfriend. I mean, just like fucking like Sailor Moon shit. I loved it. I, I no way thought I'd like, like this comic so much. And then they set it up at the end where they're like a side little five-page story at the end after she defeats the uh, Rockbiter... Uh, <laughs> building <laughs> and uh her buddy right. has been exiled well let me don't want to glance over the fact that a giant cthulhu s thing comes out of the sky and she's got to make sure that thing doesn't fall on the city and her she just got a medal and her friend wave was supposed to be there to get a medal and yes her friend wave can manipulate water so i'm thinking and i'm not just thinking i'm expecting a captain planet type situation here and if I don't get it I'm going to be pissed not that Captain Planet was that good but it was still pretty good dude I was never a fan of Captain Planet I just can't get behind it it dude. was too prissy eco was, <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg you know, played it, Gaia it was just like oh let's strike <laughs> while the iron is hot it's the 90s and we're all eco right now cause was that cause really the situation office huh <laughs> Was that really the situation? I just remember my sister being like five years old and determined that she was going to be a planeteer when she grew up. And when I told her it was impossible, oh, it, just, bro- it, cute, it just broke her heart and she just cried. And my mom was like, why would you tell her that? I'm like, because it's stupid. <laughs> she likes a stupid cartoon. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, yeah. It sorry was, about that, Robin. Dude, it was just, it was too formula. I think that like it just that show seemed completely trite to me. It was pretty when trite when I was a kid. It was pretty and, trite. Uh, it was because it's because there was eco everything. Everything was eco stuff, and it was just like you eco warriors, GI Joe action figures. Oh, we're fighting guys because they're dumping sludge, so we have our water blasters, and when you hit them with the water, the sludge is visible. That is a that is a good point. Remember they did the Toxic Avenger cartoon about that, and he was fighting against like people that were like poisoning the planet, and then also mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. did. Uh, God, there was another one. It was. It was uh, I just had it in my head. It was a see, talk. Oh, Swamp Thing, the Swamp Thing cartoon, the same the same thing for Swamp Thing. Yeah. Minus the big titties yeah. running through the uh, the swamp from that awesome Wes Craven movie. That was some... Our listeners know what's up. Anyway, let's move yeah. on. Uh, it was fun. Uh, I better get my damn Captain Planet-esque uh, five-issue series and introduce the guy that does fire. Because <laughs> if I don't get it, I'm going to be pissed. Uh, what did you got next, brother? What else have I got? I've got... Um 
Don't you got Black, Black Cat? Cat number two. Totally loved Black Cat number two. Didn't I hate this? Pull it up here. Didn't I hate the last one? I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm pretty sure I hated maybe on it. Maybe you did. I don't. I don't recall. It's been a month. <laughs> I feel like it's been a month since the last one came out. Um, it competes. It, it's Jed McKay as the writer. Uh, Travel Foreman, if you can believe that name, artist. Uh, Brian Reber is the color artist, and uh, Farron Delgado is the letterer. Uh, J. Scott Campbell and Sabine Rich cover, and uh, it's freaking nice. That cover is just what you would want out of a Black Cat comic. However, they're a little bit more um, inconspicuous about it in the book, uh, or more realistic anyways. So... We got the one of the holdovers from the from the first issue is that there's this guy there's that guy from the security firm yeah uh, that chased her around and she was flirting with him and everything and he's an ex con he got hired by a uh, mafia character that is probably part of that whole business that she was kind of ripping them off so uh, we'll see more of that dude. Um, after his night in jail and everything. Uh, but then we've got the same two. I think they're great. Um, henchmen that are working for her. What is it? Dr. Corpse and, uh, Bruno or something like that. I can't recall. The thing that I love about them is that they were introduced in, uh, uh, oh, that's trouble. I got a text message from somebody about one of the jobs going on in the state. Uh, about the uh, Spider-Man, go back to issue 196 of the original, like, Silver Age or probably Bronze Age Spider-Man books, and uh, these guys were introduced there, and I completely love that they're being pulled out of henchmen years gone by to be in this. Anyway, so then you've also (laughs) got the Fox, the Black Fox, who isn't her dad, but is somebody who helped raise her. And they introduce this guy who's a Merlin. He's a uh, oh, dude. What was his name? Let me go back and check him out. Whoops, I made the made a mistake here. I gotta go back two pages. Uh, is it is it he her is stick? A huh? Is it her stick? Stick stick. No, I don't know. No, uh, no, no, no. We're not talking about Mad Magazine. We're talking about Stick Daredevil. Oh yeah, no, the black fox. Yes, no, I dig I dig what you're saying. Yeah, um yeah, he taught her probably everything she knew or something like that, but I always remember her father from that those first two issues involving her and uh how she mainly hired these guys to help her break her father out of prison so he could die at home. Right. And Spider-Man got involved and then accidentally thought he killed her and then the next time she showed up, it was just her, and she was trying to steal stuff from a museum and flirt with Spidey and everything. But, um, yeah. Anyway, you've got uh, Xander the Merciless is this, like, ultra, I don't know, probably like a X-list. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's not a he's not an A-lister. He's not even a D-lister. He's a schwa. It's what I say. <laughs> Yeah, when I when I talk about people hiring people for jobs in my field, I say you can hire the A team or you can hire the J team. Yeah. So this guy's definitely way way down there, and she calls him a Merlin. 
He is a thief that will help them out uh, to use magic-related B&E type of stuff, breaking and entering. So Xander the Merciless. And you know what? I didn't run it to see if he'd showed up in any other issues. But, Xander with uh, an X? Yeah. Yeah. Are you looking that up? Yeah, you keep talking. I, I thought that this was fun because you've got her her little team and then you've got this other guy and they're like, okay, hey, we, we need to, you, you've got to go on this mission and collect this thing. And um, now this guy in the previous issue had been in a poker game with Dracula. And I was like, that's hilarious. That is awesome. This guy is in a poker game with Marvel's iteration of Dracula who is Marvel's iteration of Dracula and simultaneously Vlad the Impaler and simultaneously the the Dracula that is more recently characterized in going back in like Fear Itself. Uh, he's a totally different looking character. Like he just radically changed his entire appearance for some reason, but uh, looks consequently super badass. But um, anyway, yeah, there's not, I can say a lot about Marvel's Dracula, I got a lot of respect for how hardcore he is in those books. Let's see, uh, uh, Xander, humanoid alien, unknown nature, magic user, occupation warrior, herald of the creators, affiliations, agent of the creators, enemies, ancient one, Clea, Doctor Strange, no known oh. relatives, Alice's Xander the Great, Xander the Merciless. First Dude, appearance. I'm digging this book. What? For that reason alone. Yeah. Hey, let's take... Let's take, like, M-listers that no one has seen. This is right up our alley. This is totally right up our alley, man. We had a conversation with Langdon Foss at Denver Comic Con, uh, what, three, four years ago? I don't even know. Three years ago. And and, uh, we were talking about taking some of Marvel's underutilized characters and doing stuff with them. That's what this book is doing. I'm going to write a nice letter to I got to go back and relook at it because I'm not on the right page. To the uh, to the author here and just be like, dude, I really appreciate what you're doing with this, pulling these guys out of the ether and uh, making interesting stories. Yeah, this is so, this is weird. First appearance, Doctor Strange, Master of Mystic Arts, number nineteen, October nineteen seventy, fucking six. Damn, he's as old as I am. Uh, but like. Yeah, you know, he is this hermit-looking weirdo in a very doofy costume. And With the red little they, circle on his forehead? Uh, not that I can tell, no. And then he, uh, they break into Doctor Strange's house, the Sanctum Sanctorium. That's an easy thing. Let's just go break into Sanctum Sanctorium. <laughs> and then they're, like, having to walk up and down bookcases that go on, and you know, into infinity. And then, uh... They have to take the stairs, which go on and on and on forever, and they have to fight trolls. And it's got such a sense of humor. This book has such a sense of humor. You've got knife-wielding trolls fighting a guy that's got a machine gun, and then another dude that's in his, like... This dude that has no business being in, like, a Mission Impossible break-in gear and uh, is... And then the black cat being in her stuff and then Xander and everything. And they're in like the north southern wing and all of this stuff. There's just some great stuff going on in this book. It's so much such like I say, such a sense of humor, such a sense of adventure, such a sense of nostalgia. And then I honestly hope Doctor Strange doesn't even appear in this. Like I want them to break in and get out. 
mess something up and not have to encounter Doctor Strange and then Doctor Strange show up in another issue later and be like, huh, I, you've been in my house. And you're, oh, yeah, okay, blah, blah, blah. But, like, they get into trophy room C, which, honestly, I would call the reliquary or reliquary C or something like that. And I'm like, Relic okay, depository. so there's, <laughs> there's so many badass artifacts in here. Like, that, it just charms me. And that's not even a... No, magical no, that makes sense. Uh, I get it. it. It's something that just, just yeah. absolute appe- appeals to you. Like, if you were to get, yeah. if you were to get to get a a, uh, a Toys R Us, you know, fifteen minute like walk through and take what you want in Sanctum Santorum, you'd want to go in all those random rooms you've always wanted to go to that they'd never shown. Exactly. I totally dig this because it's like when you watch when you watch the movie Doctor Strange and when you watch the sequence in. Uh, Thor 3, Thor Ragnarok, and that little sequence you get in uh, Avengers Endgame. The Sanctum is definitely, definitely one of the best sets anywhere because you could you could literally have those doorways go to... It's a TARDIS. You could have those doorways go anywhere. You could have those doorways lead to rooms that look like anything you wanted to. Did you ever read Neverwhere? Yes. By uh, I did. Neil Gaiman? I did. I really loved that Lord Portico's house was nowhere. Because, and I'm not obviously talking about the Guardians yeah, of the yeah, Galaxy. Yeah. It's, it's a place that you can't get to unless you have the special powers of teleportation. All of those characters were named something that had something to do with doorways. And I was like, that's cool. The girl's name is Doreen. She shortens it to Door. She can get you in and out of that house. And everybody wants access to this place. I freaking love it. I love it. Like, everything they do with the Sanctum is always fun. And this book isn't even like... it's. This is... This, there's ex, this expands on the Sanctum without even being a magically themed book. It's the Black Cat. So... Wasn't that one Xander's of the... Xander's entire thing is, I'll help you get through the Sanctum... And he's crazy, but the closer he gets to his objective, the more prescient and lucid he gets... And he's after his fabled artifact, Interesting. the Starstone, that Doctor Strange took from him. And uh, which simultaneously, the Black Cat is there to get the original deed to the island of Manhattan. Nice. Which to me is like, why does Doctor Strange have it? So I'm looking forward to that answer. And when, the, when uh, Xander gets the Starstone, he morphs into, uh, instead of looking like Rasputin... He looks like whatever this previous younger beardless, you know, take take a hermit and then give him the same long hair, but it's clean now and wipe that beard off his face. And he's like rejuvenated and powerful. This is going to be cool. I can't wait for the next issue. Like, I'm just excited about it. And uh, the next issue cover has the black cat with the eye of Agamotto on her um, ample bust. And she's casting spells, so I don't know what that's going to get into. I'm I'm very excited about this book. I just think it's really entertaining. Yeah, we. I can't think of the last time there was a black cat book that was really good. Outside without, of maybe without Spidey and and yeah yeah, a, I mean, I wasn't even really too hot on Claws way back. But uh, wait, are you talking about the uh, Joseph Michael Lisner book with uh, Black Cat yeah. and Wolverine? Oh, I was hot. Yeah. On, I was hot on both of those series. Oh God, yes. Were they good? Oh, they were phenomenal, okay. dude. They were so much fun. 
Oh. Oh, wow. All right. I mean, I could see them palling around and having a good time and maybe Wolverine charms her, but uh, I don't know. Uh, oh, that happened. You know, <laughs> yeah, well, that's all right. Well, L- L- Lindsner um, was not going to not... <laughs> Lindsner made sure that deal happened. Yeah, yeah. Somehow, despite the fact of uh, Black Cat's specific dimensions, I just don't see her being a Lindsner girl. And, yeah, I don't see her being a Lindsner girl. Whatever happened, dude, it was expertly painted and... Oh, the, oh there's Jack and KJ. Oh, it's KJ and Jack. Uh, Jack know, and KJ. And you know what that means, everyone? Morning. It's our the morning. <laughs> Wait, what are they? The morning German Shepherd. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I'm glad you mentioned just randomly breaking into Sanctum Centaurum because one of my uh, I can't decide which my which of these is my comic of the week, and one of them is Wolverine versus Blade number one. I don't know why they're calling it that. Like I said earlier, because it's a one shot. Um, this was phenomenal. Uh, writer Mark uh, Guggenheim, artist and cover Dave Wilkins, letterer VCs Travis Lanham, and. It, it transported me to when uh, Spawn came out with the Spawn the Impaler, a three-part painted series, which was many different forms of uh, artistic form. Uh, graphites, some pages were just done in all oh, charcoal. Wow. Some of them were uh-huh. a little bit digital. Some of them were full-on, like, painted monstrosities of epic, uh, you know, landscapes. Um, this is that... In digital, I have not seen Wolverine Wolvie look this badass in years. He's wearing his uh, black and gray X Force assassination with the red eyes uh, costume. It starts out with him massacring some uh, uh, vampires with Blade. Who I swear to you, <laughs> their Blade is a amalgam of Michael Jai White and um, Wesley Snipes. <laughs> and the jokes were funny. Like, they, they, they killed all these vampires and they're walking away and the, the moonlight is, is fading and the sun's coming up and Blade's eyes are blood red that match Wolvie's for his costume because he's got that uh, these red sunglasses on at night. And he's like, remind me never to piss you off, man. And Wolvie says, piss me off again, you mean? Yeah. I'm going to give this place a pretty thorough torching, torching. You're welcome to stick around. I brought marshmallows. Wolverine says, that's an old joke, bub. And you got this beautiful, beautiful smile from Blade. Who's joking? Holding up a big-ass marshmallow. <laughs> and uh, Wolverine, Wolverine, I keep Wolverine. I keep saying that. What the hell? Um, Wolverine. Wolverine. Uh, it's a couple years later. He's killing a bunch of vampires, hunting someone down, and... He encounters a relic that he does not know what the fuck it is and just shows up in Greenwich Village. Greenwich? <laughs> is it Greenwich? Greenwich. It's Greenwich. Greenwich. Yeah, I've, never been, I've never been there before. Just showed up like, hey, what the hell are you doing here? Uh, Strange shows him what it is. Guys, uh, I there's not much to this comic. It's a knockdown, drag out, one shot. Hmm. The artwork is gorgeous. The color palettes... Each page is almost a different color palette, or, or each scene, actually. Uh, obviously, they do the avengers S thing. We're like, hey, I thought we were friends, but like, uh, it was prophesized that you were supposed to kill everyone. No, it was prophesized you were the one that's supposed to kill everyone. And they realize, oh, hey, the guy that wrote the prophecy is here, and uh, we got to make sure this ends. Beautiful. God, I keep flipping through this. 
just read the goddamn comic, guys. And <laughs> uh, just read the damn just, comic. God, you gotta say it like a grizzled World War Two vet. God damn it! <laughs> Shit. And uh, my uh, other between this uh, war of which one's the best one of the week is a uh, World of Realms Omega, and we we're talking about this last night. Um, anytime there's an Omega issue, the Alpha is always like drawn by Joe Midoriya and written by Mark Wade, and it's just this, like, 30-page, $8 monstrosity, and it leads into, like, four months of uh, maybe some decent storytelling. But it always wraps up in an Omega, and the Omega is always written by some D-lister guy and an F-lister artist, and the the, <laughs> the cover is just uh, a, a misnomer. Like, hey, read this comic book, because all the art's going to be just like the cover, right? Not wrong. Um... Oh, yeah. Not like this one. War of the Realms Omega, number one. Again, why number one? <laughs> it's, it's uh, uh, I'm going to have to break down. There's, uh, there's a few different writers, a few different artists. Uh, the God Without Fear is mourning his loss of goddom in, in Hill's Kitchen on top of a church steeple. And um, he's looking at the sword. He's just mourning it. And uh, Heim- oh, yeah. Heimdall shows up and like, hey, kind of, kind of need my sword back, buddy. And he's, you know, gives him the gives him the treatment. You you kicked ass. You did what needed to be done. And he's like, well, I just I, he, he just kind of hints like I just wish I could see the 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 bow that wraps everything up nicely. And they give it to you in four different stories, actually three stories, and or it was actually four, but it kind of felt like three, um, where. He shows Heimdall shows him like when Jane Foster's in the morgue, and she becomes Valkyrie, and Thor comes mm. Thor comes to her and tells her the you know Valhalla is done. There's no paradise for us anymore. There's no mead. There's no more rubbing elbows. There's no seats next to your favorite people and your favorite warriors. The Valkyries are dead, and out of uh, uh, Brunhild comes a Val- she comes out. The Valkyrie comes out and dubs. Jane the Valkyrie with her new like uh, the all weapon I think they called it and um, because of her all, you hear the 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 Mustangs the, the the Pegasus is just through the night rushing towards Valhalla because now that she exists Valhalla can now exist and Thor is astounded he's got the it looks like the arm of the destroyer I didn't read the War of the Realms that you did yeah and, he uh, lost that arm at some point and then they re- they put it on again and then uh, it got ripped off in the last one I read I, I, dude I mean I want to finish this storyline but uh, it just wasn't exciting yeah it was really hard to take it seriously because Malekith was nowhere near a character that I could take seriously and now he's especially dead. teaming up with an oil baron <laughs> on earth and I know that they were developing that for a long time but like how am I supposed to take any of that seriously Malekith was a really interesting character I know that a lot of people think that all these villains are disposable in movies but Loki you're going to bring back yeah. You're not necessarily going to, you know, especially after, like, the crushing amount of... Uh, you're going to bring him back because he was going to be the villain in Avengers. Because he is the reason the Avengers got together in the first Avengers issue. But, like, 
You don't need to bring back every freaking Thor villain across ten freaking years. Agreed. They've only done three movies. Apparently Thor 4 has been announced, and uh, I can't think of the guy's name. Whoever the director was on uh, Ragnarok. Kantiki Tiki Watiti? I don't know his name. Uh, sorry, I was a dick movie. <laughs> to be silly like that. Let me look it up. Well, uh, it's funny you say that because Loki coming back uh, on Judenheim. Is it is it Jodenheim? Jodenheim, yeah. Uh, I, the Realm of the Giants. Taika Realm of the Giants. Waititi. Uh-huh. Say that again? Director name? Taika, Taika Waititi. Mm, he's supposed well, to be directing the ice- Akira also. Anyway, uh-huh. Did you say he's doing uh, Akira? The That's Ice funny. Giants? As long as we don't lose time, brother. All right, but uh, you're, you're talking about Loki and uh, you're not. supposed to be doing Akira, Ice Giants yeah. are mourning lost, the uh, uh, death of their king, their and Loki shows up in pure yeah, right. <laughs> jubilant fashion from the rainbow that should mm-hmm. have been broken, but powers were used, and the littlest giant stops a war between Loki and the Ice Giants that want to destroy him with a shield and. Now the littlest giant is going to be sitting at the left hand of Loki. I'm sorry, right hand. I'm thinking right hand. I was thinking I, I wanted to say left hand. No, right hand. And it's the uh, a new kind of king, a new kind of god, one who rules not by the blade right. but by the shield. Uh, short story of uh, Frank Castle cleaning things up in New York. And the end-all, be-all, the one that, like, really got me those goosebumps is when Heimdall presents him, presents Daredevil with mm-hmm. the new batons forged by uh, pieces of Yggdrasil, the world tree, uh, made by the uh, same uh, dwarves that forged the, all the hammers. And as they exchange pleasantries for job well done... Uh, Daredevil hears someone being mugged and let's just go on a little mini adventure and stop that shit. And it just fucking great exclamation point and a shitty story. I'm excited to see what's going on. I love the fact that we got to the whole encapsulating story was us getting to see what Daredevil gets to see because Heimdall wants him to see it to let him know that he's done some good. And now let's see. So the first story, God and the devil walk into a church Written by Jason Aaron, drawn by Ron Gorney, colored by Matt Mila. Letters by VCs Joe Sabino. The Job I Have to Do, which is the Jane Foster story when she just takes on the helm of Valkyrie. Written by Al Ewing and Jason Aaron, drawn by Kafu, C-A-F-U. Lettered by Jesus Abertrov. Letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Born Small, The Littlest Giant. <laughs> Written by Daniel... Written by Daniel Kibblesmith, drawn by Oscar Bazalduva. Bazalduva. Colored by <laughs> Dave Curiel. Letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. That guy's on everything, too, like uh, Joe. War. Yeah, War Orphans. Trying written to by find Jerry Duggan. Ooh, Jerry Duggan, sorry. Uh, love the guy. Drawn and colored by Juan Ferreira. <laughs> Letters oh, by VCs Corey it, yeah. Petit, which we've talked about multiple times as well. Edited by Jake Thomas with Lindsay Kohick. <laughs> and, no, this was... It was worth it to ignore most of it. And who you tell me everything by everything just to read this one. 
<laughs> yeah, kind of. I'm three. Years. You know what? I'm really impressed with the yeah, whole thing they've in, done with James, no, Fo- James, James sin. Foster. James Foster sin in the last when, few years. Uh, Thor became last, unworthy. At least a year. Uh, giving her the, the, the it's hammer. Long it's been a long-ass fucking time. Since Battleworld. Oh my gosh. Wow. I was just worried about the cast. I like grab. the like, idea hey, of Thor being Thor worthy. Now I like because, the idea uh, of him girls, being worthy. We have to represent and girls. Changing and we have to piss everyone off. The way he needs to uh, be, more or less. And I like the idea... Oh, no, no, no. At least they didn't... I was didn't, worried that it, it was hand like, at first, but the way it developed and... At I least was, they uh, didn't pretty touchy like, about the cancer do that subject, but they did it well. Uh, I loved everything. I, about I just it. don't feel like it was off and cured her and everything she's done so far. I'm I'm looking forward to her being Valkyrie. I think this is the, this is, this is where this the character should go, and the development, it took a while, but goddamn that payoff was fucking cherry. I am too. I will read that book. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think that you, I don't know. I mean, I sometimes don't know if they're driving the car and not knowing whether they're going to end up in Idaho or Ohio, you know, and it's just like, where are you? Do you guys know where you're going or do you know that California is on the other side of uh, Idaho? You know, if you're driving that direction or if you're going to New York, going the other way, it's just like, what do you guys know where you're going with this at all or it it sometimes feels like it's, I kind of want the WWE writers to move a potential over to switch, slippery slope, do a big switch up from from the way that you guys from, could possibly if, if do they're with however much time you've got. Worry us that they're trying to do but a cash grab, or yeah. if they're actually gonna develop something and show yeah. off what their intentions were were legit and really hammer it home. I think the people that should be writing this are the Soska sisters. I would kill for a Valkyrie. If they got the Soska sisters writing uh, Valkyrie, fuck yes. Mm-hmm. I'd even buy a variant on that one. I don't think they. I don't think mm. they're gonna pull it off gritty. I just think that the sisters would do the research and the. I don't know that I love to make needed, it uh, badass. You know, I think it would Foster be a great exercise in being but, uh, good writers. Showing off that you could go from gritty Black Widow to write Valkyrie in in his guardian uh, sense, and uh, maybe they, they they did all their research for Black Widow. Obviously, if they took the helm of this, they would probably do a lot of research into Icelandic black magic or white magic, and and really hammer it home, or or at least teach us how to say Yggdrasil correctly. I got one more. Uh, yeah. This one was let my left field of the of the uh, <laughs> of the week. Somebody On Earth just, number uh, one. Put that away Image comics story by uh, Colin Bunn, Kyle Strom, right. art by uh, Baldemar Rivas, letters by Crank exclamation point editor Joel Enos. Um, All right. A lot of digital art. Still needs a little bit more fleshing out. Basically, there is an epidemic going on, or almost a potential pandemic, and they go visit this. Um, where are they? 
they're in Mexico. And their guide is a small child that's been helping the scientists that, or doctor that's been helping everyone that's infected. And they, he shows them the room with all the infected and there was the doctor. And he takes them to a room where these horrible mutated people that are almost blob-esque. Like, uh, I'm going to show this to you. You can zoom in on that. Where's the doctor? This is the doctor. And they've got some uh, paramilitary guys there that are making sure they're safe. And oh, yeah. Because they've got some gorillas uh, going on in the, in the forest that are That's pissed off that they're even it. there. And they find a cave that shouldn't be there. And they go in there and find a giant... Um, God, it reminded me of... This is silly, but... Uh, and, and I don't want to downplay the comic, but it reminded me of the, the, the slurm monster from... Uh, uh, Futurama. It was it was that big, and starts absorbing people, and they get separated, and they they've only got like twelve hours of oxygen, uh, to not breathe the uh, potentially <laughs> noxious fumes to be infected, in the uh, the the cave that shouldn't be there that goes further than it should, and they find uh, languages on the walls that are outdated that they shouldn't be there, and uh, it's got potential. It's got potential. That's, that's all I got to say. Uh, I had a lot of fun reading it. It's got potential. I really hope they hammer it home on this one. I hope they don't draw it out really too long the way they did Paper Girls. Uh, I know Brian K. Vaughn is supposedly one of the best writers ever. He's done some great work. But I hope they don't Ooh. draw it out like the way they did Paper Girls because uh, I think this should maybe be maybe 12 issues. I, I think any... To really hammer a story home, I think it's got to be at least 12, maybe 13. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I think that's all I got for this week, brother. Arrow. Mm. Yeah, I believe. I agree with that. You were you were reading uh, Hunt for Red October, weren't you? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, we talked about a couple of nonfiction pieces earlier, and uh, I'm going to do a... Well, first off, tell us, for, for our readers yeah. that... Dude, yeah, I'm going to do a brief long box on for Red October. Uh, yeah, I mean, I... Uh... <laughs> um, I think a lot of people are probably still aware from of this because... A, it's Tom Clancy, and if you don't know who Tom Clancy is, that's too bad. Uh, and if you aren't aware of the movie treatment of this book, uh, this is not a comic book, okay? Obviously, this is a tone. Yeah, help help me understand something. I've always wanted to. Huge. I've never researched. Uh, all of Tom Clancy's books are gigantic. Um, Alec Baldwin's character is actually not as big as Stephen uh, King Harrison books, Ford's but they're pretty the freaking pretty books, right? big. Um, Mm-hmm. Yes, kind of, sort of. If you are, so many people have played Jack Ryan now that you can name an era based on that, and you can also ascertain whether or not it did any good uh, in the theater or even on TV now. So um, basically, to encapsulate it. Tom Clancy started writing fiction, uh, and The Hunt for October was his first book. It's a novel, and it's the first work of fiction that was ever 
<coughs> um, released by the uh, Naval Institute. Is it one of Press. those? They is it one of those no things where, like, uh, they made people read it or not make it, or encourage people read it, it like, like, like Starship Troopers? Freaking technically brilliant. It makes the Navy look awesome. It makes a... Um, hmm? No. Uh, no, but I think they should because it, it depicts even the Russians, even the Soviets, in a very positive fashion in almost every case. Uh, and then additionally, um, like it's not the Killer Angels by Michael Shara uh, that I could go into outrageous depth over about the Battle of Gettysburg. The Hunt for Red October is a technical, it's a techno thriller um, about uh, an analyst from the CIA. He was a, he was an historian who was writing books about uh, the Navy in World War II, and he was asked to come work for the CIA by somebody who became a friend, Admiral Greer. And if you watch the movie, that's James Earl Jones. And Jack Ryan in the movie is played by Alec Baldwin. Now, um, he has this idea when he, he 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 gets sent over to England and he's working with the English intelligence okay, services. Okay, are, are we talking about and they get October pictures that secondary of a brand new boomer from the Soviets. A boomer is a ballistic missile sub. So in the during the Cold War, you had Yes, we are. No, we're talking about we're talking about the Cold War and why this book matters in the Cold War and why the Cold War is so important to this. So, and it's, everything I'm talking about is the hunt for Red October. So, during the Cold War, you had attack subs and you had missile subs. And the attack subs are always out there tracking contacts. They're using sonar, uh, computers if they've got them, to, okay, hey, there's a distinctive sound out there. This is a new contact, and we're going right. to follow it because that's probably one of their missile subs. Or that's a new sound, and that might be an attack sub. And if they if they shot at one another, it would have right. started World War Three, probably. If uh, if you sunk a sub, right. that's that's like uh, that's national territory, just like any other maritime body. If you sink uh, a ship, you have attacked a nation, and that's just how it is. You'll start a war. So the Soviets would track us, the Americans would track them, right. uh, the British were involved, anybody, the French, people who had submarines were all keeping track of things, and even though they're allies, even though you have the Warsaw Pact who were allies, but they weren't really allies, they were subjugated, uh, everybody's keeping track of everybody else, but the point is that part of our deterrence, part of to keep them from launching their missiles in a surprise attack and okay. invading or to, to keep us from doing that was having submarines that had nuclear missiles on them that could get close enough to launch their missiles and then blow up your cities or your strategic targets. Well, this, the Hunt for October is about how Jack Ryan in England, CIA, brings to his friends at the CIA pictures of a brand new Soviet boomer that just left port. And he doesn't even know what left port. But the the thing about the hunt, the Red October is that, and that's the name of this submarine, right. is that it has an experimental ultra-quiet drive system they call a Caterpillar. So a submarine has a giant fan prop on the back that propels it, you know, 
It, but, and you can hear that everywhere. So this submarine has two of them, but it can go quiet and it can use it like a jet engine. It draws water into the front and it pushes it out through the back. And, and computers couldn't understand what that sound was. This is not something that ever happened, but it was completely right, that, that can actually exist. And that's part of why this was in so this cool. time in, in this actual it, time. If you're a Star as Trek well. fan, as being a cloaking device on a submarine that's already hard to detect, anyways. So you could actually do this. Yeah, this is like the even yeah in 1984, uh, the Americans were experimenting with this concept in the 60s and 70s and couldn't get it to work. So the idea that the Russians would ever have been able to do this is a little bit implausible, but it would if it was going to happen, it would have happened in 1984 to 1989, maybe. Maybe 1986, because they were on the downslope by 1989. So, uh, because, anyway, I can go into that. It's Gorbachev. Um, so uh, he's like, okay, well, we gotta we got to convince all these people that this thing is a reality and that... They're not, you know, this is a great first strike weapon. we got to know where it is. Well, at the same time, the captain of the Soviet sub, who is Lithuanian by birth, has a corps. He trained most of the Soviet submarine commander corps. And he get, he's popular enough in their very rigid hegemony uh, that he can have his own officers on his boat if he wants it. They've all decided we got to find a way to get the crew right. off the ship, off the boat, but we're going to defect to the United States. I remember States the scene. I remember the scene where they're sitting at the big table and deciding this. Soviet, and it, it goes into egregious detail about why Marco Ramius, the uh, the uh, captain of the, uh, yeah, uh huh, yep. So yeah, watch the movie for sure, guys. But I mean, you want to go into outrageous detail in the book uh yeah you're gonna get it and um they uh they decide you know yeah they knew they were gonna defect before they went on this mission now thing about soviet ships and soviet missions is that they had a zampolit a political officer so if you guys watched uh, x-men first uh class and you know that they're on they're like firing their missiles the soviets are firing their missiles and then the guy stops the missile from blowing up or whatever, and they they fire. He's the political officer. You have a guy. Imagine this: everywhere right. you work, everywhere you have a job, everybody corp- has a political officer there to make the sure that you're doing sure you're playing by the, rules. the duties of being a member of your culture. We don't have right, that here. Right, we never right. stand. Is- but right, yeah, but they're not in every little aspect of your life. And, but you guys that are all thinking about voting socialist, you might end up with this person. Okay. Think about this. So you've got to, I mean, it's years from now, if that's what's going to happen, but really consider these things. So, uh, they want to defect with this boat and Ryan figures out they're probably going to defect for these reasons, but he can't convince a lot of the people from the Navy so he ends up having to go out there on a big risk, putting himself in a lot of personal jeopardy. But he's, and he's not a he's field agent. Subject matter he's an expert. analyst. He's, he's supposed to, to take the field agent's work needs to go and on. examine it and then disseminate that to the appropriate people in different branches of the CIA. Right, right, yeah. 
Mainly because they consider, not the CIA, but the Navy officers consider him to be expendable. At least in the movie, they put it that way. You're, you're, you're nobody. These guys are officers with decades of experience behind them. They have reputations they don't want to lose. So this character, Jack Ryan, he gets out there and he's working with his British contacts. That's the big difference. When you're reading the book, the British are heavily involved. And uh, the... Um, uh, I'm trying to name, remember the name of the, sh- the aircraft carrier. But anyway, um, I think it's the Invincible. And uh, he's working with them a whole lot after he was on uh, – he's on the Kennedy or he's on the Nimitz or something in the movie. I can't recall. But right. uh, there's this whole thing where they're secreting him around as a uh, as a, naval, a commander in the Navy, like what uh, Commander Riker would be if you're a Star Trek fan. And if you're not in the Navy. So uh, he's not a first officer, but he's that rank. So nobody gives him a hard time. But he's doing all this crazy shit in the novel. Like he's got to get place one place to another in this type of helicopter or that type of helicopter. And the research is awesome that Tom Clancy went into. Like this helicopter's capability is this and this helicopter is that. And that's a British helicopter, but it's got this going on. Uh, and he's in, and then he's in Harrier jets left in, like once or twice he's in a Harrier jet going from one place to another. Now in the in the movie he gets to leave the helicopter leave the aircraft carrier on a helicopter and get dumped onto the USS Dallas, which is uh, a really kick-ass American Ohio class sub. It's uh, and uh, is it Ohio class? Uh, you know they don't really go into that in the in this, but um, he. Uh, Oh, yeah, it's a Los Angeles class sub. So this is one that's out there tracking boomers all the time. And they make a big point of saying how good the commander of that sub is and also how good the sonar guy is, who was played by, I believe it was Courtney B. Vance in the the movie. Really great character-driven piece there to say, like, everybody's doing the best that they can all the time and they're completely into their work. And they take pride in these things. Like, it's really impressive. I'm sure there are bored people in the Navy or the Air Force or anywhere else for that matter. But, like, to see all of the carrier pilots and all of the crewmen and all of the people and all of the – even the cooks constantly just being so – they have so much pride. It is a patriotic story without nationalistic fervor. They're not doing it because it's America. They're doing it because they're good at it. And because they're respected, and it's really impressive to see this, and I hope it's really like that. And even the Soviets are, are like that. Some of them are freaked out about the circumstances, and then the Soviets just flood the, 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 the North Atlantic with their fleet. And it's like, oh my God, is this the first strike? What are they doing? Are they coming? They can't operate within 500 miles of our uh, coast, or that's 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 against the the law. We'll we'll get them for that. You know, we can because even then, the, the Americans are looking at this and they're like, well, they're not doing anything in the in the Pacific, and they're not doing anything in the Med. So what are they doing? And they got it figured out pretty quick that they're like, well, maybe it's not a maybe it's an exercise. Maybe they're pushing our buttons to see what's going to happen, and then. Over time, they start putting it together, and they know it's the Red October. They know what's going on, and they hope it's trying to defect, and they want to capture it. And they want to be helpful to the crew because they're like, yeah, we got all this experimental bullshit on here. And, yeah, you can see what our missiles look like and everything. So ultimately, a lot of great stuff goes on in the book. There's a lot of differences, you know, like there's there's the GRU officer who is a second 
political officer. Ramius, the captain of the, so the, the Red October, kills the political officer so he can get away with this scheme. And um, but there's a GRU right. guy, another guy that's part of the that, uh, military intelligence complex in the Soviet Union, who is posing as a cook, and he's going to try to blow up the ship. And because uh, he's he can't let this happen, he can't let this defection happen. No, he was the doctor. Cast is he was nuts. kind of the hapless doctor who was very enthused about being a Soviet officer. He's a new Soviet man, but he's not part of the defection plot. So when you watch the movie, Tim Curry was amazing in that movie. And Sam Neill, for God's sake, as the first officer of the Red October, was it just tear your heart out. He was so good and so approachable and realistic. He was so blue collar, even for an officer. He was so authentic. I'm just going to say, people, I mean, there are a lot of differences and uh, mainly being that there's not a gunfight taking place during the sub battle that takes place like days later. It just the book just goes on and on and on to where it's like, OK, this is day 10. This is day 14. And at a certain point, I'm like, what is your what's your takeaway? I get it. Like, I get it, obviously. And I appreciate the pacing, but it could be a little bit faster because I don't need to know the backstory of every Tomcat pilot or every everything. I just I I appreciate that things are spelled out as much as they are. My takeaway is to me it felt like an achievement in reading. Because really the book is only 374 pages long. 387, I'm sorry. And my takeaway is it makes me feel connected to a time that I was only really starting to understand when it was just coming to a dramatic conclusion. There was no nuclear war. There was no invasion right. of Western Europe. There was no war in my lifetime that was as bad as Korea that happened on the Korean Peninsula. That happened in the 50s. We are so fucking lucky that we live in this reality where the Third World War did not happen. Because let me tell you, I'm a huge fan of Red Dawn. I'm a huge fan of this movie. I'm a huge fan of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, which is the war that didn't happen, you know? Like, go back and look at those stories. And then you, you read this and you're like, the technology is all different. There aren't cell phones. The Americans have computers on their subs and the Soviets are phone. still using vacuum tubes. It's just phenomenal to think that we could send people to the moon on the technology we had back then, and then we've got better technology on our submarines, which could destroy the world with multiple reentry vehicles, MIRV, uh, of nuclear weapons. You fire a nuclear weapon up into the sky, and on its way back down, it splits into different warheads that are going to hit. This one's going to hit Baltimore. This one's going to hit Washington, D.C. This one's going to hit, I don't know, Frederick. This one's going to hit Usamrid at Fort Meade. This one's going to hit NSA headquarters. You know, I mean, like, we had that technology. We didn't and, kill each other. You know, we could be we could be on the moon. We could be on, find a reason. And it's like, we didn't kill ourselves over it all. And th that's... That, the, I think one of the most beautiful moments, there's things that the, the movie gets 
that it's different enough from the book, but the heart, I feel like the real heart of this story is captured in the movie. There's a scene when they're being quiet and the right. Los An- and the, the Dallas is tracking the Red October. And there's a scene between Sam Neill and we haven't mentioned it yet, but the captain of the Red October is played by uh, Sean Connery. And this is a legendary role for him. I'm not going to, I mean, like, when I think of Sean Connery, I think of three things. I think of James Bond, the Highlander, and playing playing uh, Ramirez. And then I think of the Hunt for Red October. Because he's been in a lot of stuff, but the Hunt for Red October, Marco Ramius. I, that dude, that is an incredible, incredible role. And you get to that moment where he and Sam Neill, the tension is huge. They don't even know it. They're being tracked. And it's music That's is crushing. That's one of my favorite scenes. And they're... They're talking about what they want to do when they get to America. And Sam Neill says, I want to go to Montana. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I want to go there. And I'm going to find a, you know, I want to find a fat American woman. And I want to raise rabbits and I want her to cook them for me. And I want to have a recreational vehicle. And I want to travel to the different states and see them. And uh, he says, don't you, what do you want to do? And the captain's like, and believe me, I'm paraphrasing. That's way more eloquent in this moment. But and there's so much emotion there. He says, I don't have wow. any ambitions. He's like, there's something you want to do. And he's like, I've spent my entire life at sea. I've always been a I've always wanted to just be a fisherman. I'm gonna find a place where I can fish. My grandfather, my grandfather taught me to fish. Over my entire course. life I fought a war with no battles, only casualties. And I never got that. As a kid watching this movie, it came out in 1990. We went to see it. Yeah. We went to see this movie with our uh, the preacher from my church who had been an officer on submarines. And I know he felt like they got it right. And you get that and you get that moment. A war, the Cold War, with no battles, only casualties. People just dying and dying and dying and no appreciable change. Now, Vietnam happened and Korea happened, and you can name all manner of other stuff going on in the world between yeah, the man, Cold War powers. And if you really want to read into this, I recommend you get on YouTube and find CNN's Cold War narrated by Kenneth Branagh. It is incredible, and it will explain Everything. It's 24 hours long. It's a documentary in 50 minute chunks. And you can, oh my gosh, you can watch yeah, it from beginning it to end and it will, it will really make you understand it. It's not an HD. I bought the DVD documentary one time from Amoeba Records in, uh, or Amoeba Music in Method LA. Kid and some daughter. fucker <laughs> stole it out of the back you, of my you know car. What, you know what would be uh, Along with a t-shirt I got from my son. So F you, idiot. Is to see it I hope that shirt fits theater, your like only small theaters. frame. Uh, uh, and intro yeah, it with, and, and just hear but, me uh, out on this, the, the way, like, like old school times. Open it with like a Looney Tunes episode, and then oh, and man. then go straight into Newsreel, nineteen eighty four, Soviets mm-hmm. the Soviets, uh, and and then do like a ten minute montage uh, <laughs> newsreel of actual newsreels of what the fuck is actually happening in nineteen eighty four. I mean the movie came out ninety, <laughs> like you said, um, but in nineteen eighty four to give you the perspective you need to appreciate it and just refresh yourself 
uh, if you were old enough to understand what was going on or, or, uh-huh. or paid attention in history class or never knew what the fuck was going on in the first place and what you need to understand what the fuck is about to happen. Like, okay, great. If, if, I was, if, if I'm 18 years old and, and I just happen to rent this movie or it just comes on or my dad watches it because he loves that shit and, 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 and yeah, this is a great movie. It, it's, it's a great movie, but, it, but if I had the perspective, if this happens... Like like people people like you said earlier, oh, people yeah. wouldn't understand now. You have no idea. I, don't, I really don't think millennials now would understand that. Like yeah, uh, you destroy one ship, we're going to war. You don't understand mm. what you don't understand. It's an unknown unknown because you've, you're more concerned with this this and this. But if you're given that, and, and I'm not hating anyone, I'm just saying that that that's just this, that's just what's happening now. It, it's that's just a sign of the times right now. But. If you're given that perspective, here's a 15-minute newsreel. Gorbachev is doing this. Uh, Reagan said this. Um, this is happening in Iran. And that's important because they did a quick newsreel, and, and they even made an event out of it. I mean, I would even love it if they had uh, Anderson do it, like uh, narrate it as if it was 1984. And then we – and, you know, uh, 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 what's his name? C- no, CNN guy. Anderson Cooper, yeah. If he was, if, if, I love him. I love his face. I Anderson? Mean, I'm Adonis. Anyway, um, if, if they. Jillian Anderson. Anderson Cooper? Love that guy's voice. Griffin? The redhead? <laughs> Have you ever seen that photo of him that, uh, Oh, that actress. What is her name? I can't think. <laughs> Kathy. Well, I, Kathy. I, I, I'm just saying that would be uh, a fun event. Yeah, that she has. They're that, they're like, tight, and she has a or, photo or, of him like posing in a speedo because he's showing it off. You know, hilarious. Why don't anyway, we just? Yeah. Why don't we just do it ourselves? Yeah, yeah, that'd be rad. I would show up to a summer midnight movie or whatever you do. I like. Go, could, I'd love to see that at Circle Cinema or uh, Tower Theater. We could piece. We could piece together. Dude, we a could, good I mean, seriously, hey, let's we'll do, let's do a commentary on like it. this movie. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to always be Star Trek. We, We're talking about like, doing the X Files. You, know, you don't have we to. We should do a, do a commentary list, on like, it. Like, buy the same popcorn we bought. You get your favorite snacks. Email us what snacks you want us to have. Uh, or try oh, I out, did. What you're and saying, then yeah. we'll, uh-huh. we'll we'll give you the newsreel. We'll edit it, and then we'll we'll post mm-hmm. it because I'm I'm not. A, a, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. A primer. It's a primer. Have you have you ever seen um The Kingdom with Jamie Foxx and uh dude, I love how they open that movie up with a little primer for that and it's animated and it talks about the relationship that the United States had with uh with uh Saudi Arabia and the House of Saud and how this all came to be before the events of that movie, which is are fictionalized. And this story is fictionalized, but it's like one of the greatest benchmarks of the 80s and the Cold War that Clear you can present get. Danger. And I can only say, I mean, if you're into this movie, not Patriot only are games. there other Jack Ryan related stories that don't have nearly as much to do with uh, the uh, the Cold War. But, uh, yeah, Clear and Present Danger, I remember seeing that when that came out and going, I'm feeling, I felt like I was way smarter when I left Clear and Present Danger uh, when I saw that in theaters. But um, I'm going to say, 
13 Days, starring um, Bruce Greenwood. Speaking, speaking of Star Trek, uh, Gates, Kevin Gates Costner Fadden in particular. And, in, uh, um, in this movie, yeah. Oh, I'm dying here. I wore his co- Stephen Culp. I wore his Star Trek costume uh, one time just to try it on. That's right. That's right. Briefly. She briefly shows up at the beginning of the movie, and I don't know why she had an English accent. Uh, just because they were in England? I don't know, because her, char- her character is not English. Um, but, uh, yeah, I will say, like, this is, I mean, you want to know? Okay, folks, you're young, and you don't know what we're talking about, and you're interested. I'm going to say watch this movie. That's I'm going to say watch Red Dawn. Um, I'm going to say watch 13 Days. Fantasy, He-Man, and uh, what's another Cold War classic, do you think? I didn't start. I, I didn't start caring about history until I, you know, Rambo. Yeah. Well, I didn't I start mean, caring for about sure, history until say we that, moved to Montgomery, uh, Alabama in uh, like 1990. Know, the 80s and, was definitely uh, Starman. We started and, going to all the Civil War and, sites, uh, and I just got obsessed with it. Rambo. But we're we're not going to do that tonight. We don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, oh, dude, man. Oh, man, I can I'm really. Yeah, I can't do the Civil War right now. That's that's not not because it's dodgy to some people. It's just because it's one of my favorite things to talk about. And uh, yeah. right. But I'll just say this, you know, yeah, if you, you if you've ever been confused about what Jack Ryan is, I mean, this is how the movies started. And then Patriot Games is actually a prequel to The Hunt for Red October, but it's starring Harrison Ford. And then Clear and Present Danger is <laughs> another movie that stars him, stars Harrison Ford. And that's one of those things. I know that Tom Clancy was always like, yeah, uh, Harrison Ford's too old to be playing this character. He's supposed to be a lot younger. So when you go back and you look at Ben Affleck in The Sum of All Fears, which uh, – Honestly, I liked that movie just fine, and I, I remember listening to the book on cassette in, I love like, the I've never had a problem. Ninety-three or something, and um, Ben Affleck was awesome. Like Ben Affleck gets way too much yeah. shit. I mean, are you gonna are you gonna put da- the guy comes in and gives you the town, and you want to give him a hard time for playing Batman? That's those decisions were not his. He got cast he to really play good. Batman. He was really good. He brought are you his. Gonna, his, gr- his personal gravity to that Fuck role. No. And you don't like that the script depicts him that way? He was a fucking great Batman, and he was fine as Bruce, was, Bruce Wayne. To see he was Patterson awesome play. in that movie. Dude, no, man. And I can't wait to see... Uh, uh, what's the guy that's playing? A sparkle sparkle Vampire Jerry was pretty cool. Robert Pat- Pattinson. That guy deserves better, too. Okay? He was... We all love him in Harry Potter. He was awesome in that role. I would have taken, I would have taken more ghost appearances of him. Um, And then, I mean, geez, please, somebody, let's film the cursed child and get Robert Pattinson back for those scenes. Okay. I tell you Dude, what. Dude, that book I'll tell you what. hurt me. I will it was so agree good. with you. And, or that play, if you want to call it, whatever. Movie but like that script. But like, seriously, Robert Pattinson as Batman, I'm, I'm not, I don't have a problem with like this. Like The Long Halloween or especially Hush. Yeah, that was good. 
Oh, I liked Hush, man. Hush. I started yeah. re- reading comics again just when Hush was starting. Uh, I have those Jay Lee books. It's kind of crazy now because I've started seeing them show up on some comic okay. books like Back Walls, Featured Walls. <clears throat> anyway, so folks, if you're interested, I mean, like I say, Bruce, or not Bruce, um, uh, Alec Baldwin, Harrison Ford, uh, Ben Affleck, and, uh, and now, uh, now then we had Chris Pine playing him in a movie called uh, Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. I, I haven't seen that one. I don't have a problem with it. I, I just haven't seen it. And then, the guy from um, The Office? John John Krasinski. Josh John Krasinski. Playing Jack Ryan in the Jack Ryan TV series, which is apparently unrelated to most of this, uh, except by, you know, particular characters. Yes. John Krasinski. I love it. I really want to see that. I got a real uh, heavy, like, pothead friend who lo- watched that and absolutely loved it. I- I'm Chad, looking forward uh, to it, but I'm still missing. This was, uh, I still haven't seen season two of Discovery. I still haven't seen season two of Cobra Kai. I got stuff to catch up on. No, um, uh, like, no. But uh, no, I appreciate you. I'm just, I yeah. can't wait for everyone to let us know what you think about uh, me letting you off the leash when it comes <laughs> Thank to... Thank you. I really appreciate you letting me uh, talk about that anything, book. I really, yeah, uh, I love it, man. You I really can, enjoy you it. kick ass at it. But do you have anything else to round our story out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it's... No, man, I gotta, I gotta crash. I gotta Board get up. Game? It's supposed to be a long day tomorrow. <laughs> I'll just say uh, this. I guess I've got the I got a copy of Hunt for an October board game by uh, what is it TSR actually? Let me look it up. Yeah, the cool, TSR right? one. It is freaking rad, dude. Um, it's not it's not a bunch of great little plastic ships. They're foldovers with silhouettes and stuff. And and um, you could play this in conjunction with the unrelated but still Tom Clancy book. Uh, the the uh, the 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 Red Storm Rising, and um, it's 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 an interesting no, game. No, that's uh, I it that's badass, man. No, I don't have anything to left to play it by my own rules when I was a kid. This, man. We've had this that was, board game forever. That's all I got to tell y'all right now. Engage. <laughs> this is dangerous. This is dangerous. Uh, we love you. This is dangerous. This is, uh, this is some funky shit. And um, yeah, that's it. All right. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Send us some email. Let us know what you think.